What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. And it feels like we haven't done this in a while. Podcasts have been coming out weekly, so y'all don't know that, but I'm here to tell you, it has been a while. I'm Will Button. Joining me in the studio today is my co-host, Jonathan Hall. Hi, Will. How are you, man? I feel feel like we've both grown beards since we saw each other last. We probably shaved them off a couple of times. For sure. It's like looking like um, the Rip Van Winkle duo on here or ZZ Top. ZZ <laughs> Top needs, yeah, ZZ Top may need a new bass player because um, Dusty Hill passed away. Oh, yeah. Sad news. It is. It is. Um, so, I don't know. I guess if you're looking for a job, you know, maybe hit up ZZ Top. If DevOps isn't working out. Yeah. Grab that bass guitar and. Start, start practicing. Be an opportunity to move to Austin, Texas. Could be worse. But yeah, I can make it worse places to live. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about AWS and GCP, specifically around the differences between the two, which has been a new venture for me. I recently took the Google Professional Cloud Architect. PCA, I think that's what the PCA stands for. Took that exam, passed it, and in the course of getting ready for that, um, went deep into GCP, which I had only touched GCP a few times prior to that and came away with a whole different outlook on GCP. And so um, we're going to talk about that today, compare and contrast AWS and GCP. Awesome. Now, most of your experience has been in GCP, right? Yeah, I've used GCP more than AWS. Uh, I've definitely used both. Um, yeah, I don't even know why I started with GCP. Uh, I, I started late with the cloud stuff. So, it was, you know, now it's been several years, but um, I wasn't one of the early adopters of AWS when it first came out. So um, I guess when I started looking into it, I probably chose GCP first because of GKE, their Kubernetes platform. It was, cons- I don't even think, uh, EKS existed yet. Like it came out a year or so after I started using GKE. So that's probably why I chose Google was because of Kubernetes. Yeah. And if we're being honest here, EKS probably still shouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to argue very hard with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my experience has been just the opposite. I started with AWS. I think it was like in... 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. Right. They hadn't been doing the whole AWS thing for very long. And and my exposure to it was um, the company I was working for troubleshooting some applications and was having difficulty finding the servers. And that's when I learned that this thing called AWS existed and the dev team got tired of waiting for IT to provision the hardware and the data centers. And so they just whipped out the manager's old credit card and boom, they were live on AWS. And that was my entry point into it. And and I've been using AWS ever since then. But um, mm-hmm. so let's just but jump what, into it. Yeah. 
I was going to ask what services you've mostly used because, I mean, there's so many services on both platforms. It's, it's kind of hard to compare, broadly speaking. But I'm curious what specific services you've used on, maybe start with AWS. Yeah, for AWS, I'm heavy into uh, ECS Fargate. I actually like that product a lot. And I try to push mm-hmm. everything into Fargate um, versus running it on an EC2 instances. and avoid EKS at all costs, uh, just mainly because I don't like, when it comes to EKS, it feels like they tried to, or they did integrate it with IAM, but it feels like that was an afterthought. Like after they released EKS, they're like, oh, we should do something with IAM. And they kind of duct tape some stuff on top of it. And so you have all these different processes and containers and things running that are Feel like they're only there to satisfy what the marketing team put on the web page, right? Um, but Fargate, I've used a lot, and then use um, their uh, CloudFront for CDN quite a bit, and then their database platforms. They do have some pretty nice database offerings. Um, sure, cool. And then recently with Google, what have you been? Uh, what, what services have you been using? Over in Google, we're about. using the the database offerings there, and um, uh, GKE. Everything's going into mm-hmm. GKE, and then um, we've moved a lot of our CDN stuff off to CloudFront. So I haven't really used Google's CDN a lot, but mm-hmm. after going through their all of their stuff on it, it looks like that would be just a simple no-brainer as well. One of the, and so I'll, I'll use this as a segue into one of the big things I like about GCP that I didn't realize I disliked about AWS as much. And the fact that when you set up a, v, a VPC in Google, it's global, right? So you can use mm. the US region and European region, Asian Pacific region. And all of that is within the same VPC, mm-hmm. which turns out to be really nice if you're doing something that is has geographic distribution. And compare that to AWS, a VPC is specific to a region in AWS. So if you have uh, infrastructure on U.S. East Coast and U.S. West Coast in Google, they can just talk to each other over the RFC 1918 address space that you're using. But in AWS, you have to use different address spaces for those and then do VPC peering to peer those together, which is fine, but it's a bit of a hassle, you know, mm-hmm. especially as you branch it. Like if you're just doing US East Coast and West Coast, fine. You know, it's not really a big deal. But when you start adding Europe and Asia Pacific and, and different places like that into it, it gets to be... Um, a bit of a hassle. So one of the places where I think, um, and I, I don't know how much this is an, an honest, um, useful comparison, but I've always had a better experience with IAM, IAM on Google than on AWS. I feel like it's a little bit more straightforward. Um, that's not to say it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a pain in the rear end. <laughs> for sure. Especially if you're trying to set up Terraform. To, to, to manage that stuff for you. I find on both platforms, it's it's so difficult to find out which, what what the name of the permission is that I need. You know, I can find it in the in the web console, 
or I can find it in the Terraform docs, but I can't figure out how those those two things map to each other. Right. It's, it's often very difficult. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Implementing least privilege has seemed to be a lot easier in GCP than AWS. Um, for that reason, it's, it feels like GCP has approached it with a least privilege first approach. Mm-hmm. And they've built a lot of predefined roles that cover your most common use cases. Whereas I feel like AWS, it's like, hey, here's about 30,000 different permissions that you can apply. Like, uh, which ones? Like, oh, they're all fine. They're all good. They're all really nice. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Even um, those permissions, you know. Right. Even in AWS, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a specific example here. But like when you look at the, uh, they've got the little help menu there in the AWS console. Um, and you'll look up a specific permission and um, like something like, um, like database validator and you'll click on the help and it says, allows you to validate the database. And it's like, well, I kind of figured that part out from the name. How about right. telling me what that actually does or why I might want that permission? I feel like that's a big miss on AWS. And um, so far, it feels like GCP may have the same problem there, but their predefined roles um, have prevented me from discovering that yet. So I, I'm pretty sure that when I, I think I mentioned this, when I started with Google, it's because I was using Kubernetes. and after having I essentially learned Kubernetes on GKE, then I later tried EKS, and I don't think I've ever successfully used EKS. Honestly, like uh, <laughs> I think the last time I tried, we ended up just switching to Google. <laughs> I've been billed for it, but I've never used it. <laughs> <clears throat> now, to be fair, it wasn't a big project. You know, it wasn't like we were were you know really cared a whole lot about we were pretty platform agnostic and it was like well if eks is easy we'll do that because we already have an account it's like ah no this isn't easy uh setting up the account of google is easier than figuring out eks so it it wasn't like it was a huge amount of like we spent months trying to figure it out and failed i I don't mean something that catastrophic but like it it wasn't yeah it wasn't as easy as setting up a google account is basically what our 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 uh metric was (laughs) yeah one of the things i liked about uh gke is when you set up a new kubernetes cluster you know, you have your um, your control plane and your nodes that manage the control plane. They just kind of do that in the background, say, those are done. Don't worry about it. We've got that taken care of for you. You don't have to mm-hmm. see that infrastructure. And then the, uh, um, like the dashboard for it is really nice and really straightforward. So you can see all of the things that you're doing in mm-hmm. in Kubernetes. Yeah, I've used GKE on, I don't know, four or five projects now, and I've, I've always found it to be uh, quite usable. Yeah, one of the so other when, areas... When was the... You know, I was going to ask, when was the moment that you kind of had the idea, maybe GK, or, uh, maybe Google Cloud isn't so bad after all? You know, it sounds like you kind of had this uh, preconceived notion that it, it was, I don't know, if worse than AWS or or different, or you didn't need it. What changed your mind initially? You know, the deciding factor for me was building it out for enterprise use. Um, To compare that to an AWS environment, um, 
the AWS enterprise model is to use control tower, and that allows you to launch separate AWS accounts for dev, staging, and prod. <clears throat> and um, so you'll have all your resources running in uh, a specific, like all your dev resources running in a specific AWS account. But it's kind of control tower is an afterthought. It's a thing that was bolted on top of the AWS account to manage that. And, and it feels like that when you use it. It's very cumbersome and um, it's just not user-friendly at all. And then there's, in addition to setting up control tower, you also end up with other AWS accounts for auditing and logging and things like that that you may or may not want, but they're there anyway. And if you compare that to the way that Google handles it, you have one GCP account, and then you can create folders of dev, staging, and prod. And then you create your projects inside of those folders, and it's all in the same place. You can see it all from one location and then your, your permissions. This is the part that I really liked. So you can set up your, like your VPC, like I was talking about earlier, your core infrastructure that exists across all of your accounts. You can set that up and share it with those subfolders. And then when you set the permissions, like in, in uh, let's say your production folder in GCP, you set a set of permissions on that folder and they cascade all the way down to any resources created in that folder. And it just, it, it makes uh, managing your infrastructure a lot like the way you would manage file permissions on a server, mm -hmm. which is very intuitive yeah. and something I've personally done a lot of in the past. So it just logically made sense to approach it that way. And, um, so those two things, like setting up one VPC and sharing it across all of my environments and then being able to set my permissions for dev, staging, and prod in one location and it's still in a single GCP account was just the light bulb moment for me where I was like, I'm a GCP guy. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think you'll be using GCP from now on or, or when would you choose still to use AWS on, on, on a new project? Um, for that, I'm going to have to go with the same answer that I use for when people ask me if I'm going to use Node.js or Go or whatever. And uh, because uh, I'm going to go with the skills that I have surrounding me with the team that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. So if, I if I'm working with a team that has a lot of AWS experience, um, and that's their that's their core skill set. I would I would probably still lean on AWS um, if I felt like the transition to GCP is going to be too much for them to take on. Like if they've already if they're already overcommitted on project timelines and deliverables, then I probably wouldn't introduce something new to that and would mm -hmm. stick with AWS. But um, aside from that, I would, I would steer people towards GCP. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there any features where you think AWS is still better than, than Google? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, the big place where I see the difference is that GCP really embraces the infrastructure as code philosophy. So you can go into the GCP console and you can point and click your way to build whatever you want. But even when you do that down at the bottom, there's two buttons there that uh, say, show me the equivalent command line for doing this Mm -hmm. or show me the equivalent API calls for doing this. So you can point, point and click your way to whatever you want and then get the equivalent command line version with all the flags and switches and values right there set up for you. So GCP really embraces infrastructure as code, whereas I feel like AWS is more of um, like a Microsoft Windows type interface. Everything is done through pointing and clicking. And um, so, yeah, if, if your business model, I think, you're not really going to embrace infrastructure as code. You just want to go in and point and click and figure out what you want that way. Then um, I think AWS might be the way to go there. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't realized that before, but I think you're. I mean, I hadn't consciously realized that before. I think you're right that reading AWS docs versus reading Google docs, Google usually have those three tabs, right? It says here's the way to to do this thing in the console, and it has links sometimes. And, you know, step one, step two, step up to step six, whatever. Here's how you do it with G Cloud command line tool. And here's how you do it if you want to make a, an API call. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember seeing that on AWS's docs. So uh, no, I'm not, not going to say it doesn't exist in any form, but it's not as in your face uh, with, with those three different options. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always an afterthought with AWS. Like they'll release a new product and it's available through the console. And then, Sometime later, it will be added to the APIs. And then sometime after that, it will be added to cloud formation. And somewhere in between the API and the cloud formation stuff, the community usually adds it to Terraform. Yeah, one of the other things I liked about uh, GCP is the billing. Like every, it oh. seems like everything you click on over on the right hand side, it's like, hey, here's what it's going to cost you. Mm-hmm. which is kind of cool, you know, and, um, because uh, every every organization now is very cost conscious, but in AWS, it's, you have to go someplace else to figure out what this is going to cost you. And GCP, they're, they're, they're very straightforward with it. Mm-hmm. And I think GCP has a better handle on budgets as well. You know, you can set, um, each project can have its own, billing method so each project can be on a different credit card or invoice or whatever but then you can also have budgets for projects as well and say hey this this project is capped at a thousand dollars a month and then you can set up uh, alerts based on that which you can do that in aws as well um but then the uh the budget itself when you exceed that budget GCP can also actually block you from launching more resources that will exceed your budget. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty cool, especially, um, you know, as I mentioned, other companies, all companies are getting more cost conscientious right now. But to tie the operating costs back to the development team, I think helps bring them full circle into what it is that they're doing and and 
puts them in a more performance-minded approach where whenever they start encountering encountering, uh, scaling issues, instead of defaulting to, oh, we need bigger bigger instances, more resources, more containers, or whatever, having that budget associated with that team puts them in the frame of mind to say, is there some way we can optimize this without spending more money? Yeah, cool. I need to go back and uh, optimize my uh, GCP bill, actually. <laughs> I know I have some services I'm not, I haven't been using for a while that I need to go shut down because I stopped paying for them. I think they're both fairly, unfairly level playing ground there about identifying um, resources that need to be optimized. You know, looking at CPU mm-hmm. and, and uh, network utilization um, to say, hey, this thing looks like it's being underutilized. Yeah, I don't know if AWS does this, but I know that Google will tell you, it looks like, you know, you can downsize this or not using all the memory or whatever. And it does the same thing on permissions too. Uh, AWS may as well, but it, if, you, if it sees that you have, um, let, me, actually, let me just click on the IAM dashboard right now and I'll see if it, if it shows me the same thing. Uh, yeah, it says 6,722 out of 6,722 excess permissions. <laughs> so, I have a, a role here or an account here that has that's not using any of its permissions and it's telling me I should disable them or one of them says 7,000 my, my personal one says 7,704 out of 7,705 excess permissions so of those 7,000 plus permissions I only use one of them <laughs> oh that's fantastic I don't know how it calculates that I'm assuming it looks at which ones have been used over the last year or something like that uh, but that's, that's nice to, to, to see that if you're trying to to lock down security. Yeah. Um, I think AWS has a very similar feature, but the implementation of it, it is a bit rough because it will, it's one of those areas where they, they point you to like, Hey, you can, you can optimize this. And then they point you to another resource. And then that resource starts asking you questions about things that you don't know. You know, because like um, VPC logs uh, or VPC, is that the right one? It's the the network accessibility thing operates very similar because I was just in there Mm. recently. And it's like, hey, you can do an accessibility check to verify connectivity between these two. And like, oh, cool, I want to do that. And then you click on that. And then it starts asking me for the resource ID of the network interfaces I'm interested in. I'm like, dude, I have no idea. You took me here. (laughs) Right. This whole thing was your idea. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the Google Docs do a pretty good job, not perfect, but a good job of trying to link you to, like when it tells you, click on, you know, navigate to this, to this, to this. It usually gives you links that take you straight to your property that re- that are relevant. So if you're trying to, I don't know, enable uh, an SQL server or something, it'll take you to the right page in your account. It doesn't just, uh, you know, yeah, it doesn't take you to the wrong place, which is which is useful, very useful. Yeah, um, for sure. And I it's... haven't had the same pleasant experience reading AWS docs. No, especially if you use Control Tower in AWS, because in the event that they do give you a URL to click on, that URL is only going to work if you're already signed into that specific AWS account from within Control Tower. 
Have you played with Azure to, to compare that or DigitalOcean or any of the others? I used um, Azure a few years back, but only at a very, um, like, Azure 101 level. Like, I needed mm-hmm. to launch an, an instance. I can't even remember what they call their instances or their machines. But the thing I noticed about Azure is um, it's, you know, obviously this is probably like a duh statement, but it's very Microsoft centric. You know, it's integrated right up front with Active Directory and it's it's built to let you leverage your, your Active Directory infrastructure to assign permissions and groups and things like that. Mm-hmm. Which I, th- I think that's a really strong selling point for someone who has a uh, an active directory background or for organizations that want to leverage their existing on-prem active directory. And and that's what we actually did. The company I was working with had active directory on-prem. And so we set up active directory in Azure and then moved there or synchronized the, the two active directories so that they were part of the same, um, Top level, I can't remember what the top level, top root container in Active Directory is called, but they were they were synchronized there. Yeah, okay. I've never used Azure at that level. I, I only had access to their sort of GitHub project uh, competitor. I, I guess is, is that Azure DevOps or is is it more than that? I'm not sure, but um, that's the only Azure product I've played with before. Yeah, that was a really strange product name. I felt Azure DevOps. Um, Terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> Like, did did you even Google the word before you decided to right. use it for this product? Like, <laughs> I don't think you did a lot of research into this because it's um it's a ticketing system. Just right, trying to ride the hype train, no doubt. Yeah, and I'm really curious what they're going to do with that word because you know De- DevOps. Is, I think I feel like starting to fall out of favor, or at least in terms of buzzword uh, hype. Uh, so, you know, once it's no longer the cool word, are they going to rename the product? Probably. But what are they going to call it? I don't know. Well, I think it's on us to create yep. some type of scandal to bring the mm-hmm. DevOps phrase back into popularity. Okay. <laughs> so we could do um, we could do a DevOps cryptocurrency and then rug pull everyone mm-hmm. who invests in it. That seems to be a popular model these days. Yeah, yeah. And we and we could even tell people we're doing that and they'll still buy our coins. Right. <laughs> right. It's like at that point, is it even illegal? Because you told us exactly what you were gonna do. <laughs> yeah, this is how I end up on an FBI watch list. <laughs> yeah, fun, fun stuff. So since we're talking about it, though, what other cloud providers have you used? Um, you mentioned DigitalOcean. Yeah. So I've not, I have used DigitalOcean, but only for a VM. Yeah. Um, but I've heard, I hear that their Kubernetes uh, mm-hmm. offer is pretty nice these days, too. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to try it. Next time I need to set up a new Kubernetes cluster, I'll probably give it a shot and see, see how I like it. Um, I also use Hetzner.de. Uh, they're a German, uh, as you can tell from the .de domain, uh, 
cloud provider, and I just use them for a, a VM to run some some backend jobs and stuff. You know, so simple stuff, but they're super cheap. I think I pay three euros a month for my my VM there. So oh wow, it, um, and I've been using them for years, so I'm, I'm happy with them. And I still use an old school web hosting account from frantech.ca, a Canadian company. Uh, and that's where I host my website. And it's just a, it's a PHP in big quotes, uh, hosting service. You know, you know, you get the old school PHP, my admin and MySQL and oh, all nice. that stuff, run your Perl CGI scripts, whatever you want there. I just use it to host static websites, uh, from Hugo. So, you know, I don't use any of the fancy capabilities, but, uh, I think that's $10 a, a year or something like that. So it's, it's very, very affordable, much cheaper than paying for S3 or something for the same amount of traffic and, and, and whatnot. So. Right on. But yeah, as far as like full-fledged clouds, um, AWS and Google are really the experience I've had. Yeah. I used to use years ago, I used Heroku a lot and, and really oh, yeah. liked it um, just because the it was a very low barrier yet highly scalable solution. You know, you could let your developers just add their YAML files that defined how it should look. And Heroku just kind of figured it all out and deployed it and would scale. You know, they were for, for smaller scale apps, they were close enough to AWS costs that it wasn't worth the effort to go to AWS. So I used them quite a mm-hmm. bit for my smaller clients. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of like static website and single page application hosting, um, I've used Cloudflare Pages. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty nice. They have a really nice uh, GitHub integration that handles your uh, deployments. And then we'll, they will also do preview branches as well. So when you open up a pull request, they spin up a temporary URL to show you what the merged version would look like. And then just being on Cloudflare, you know, performance is great because they've got a great CDN network. Um, yeah. And then the other one I've used recently is Vercel for Next.js apps. That one's actually pretty nice. I think that one's, pre- I, I would consider that one to be like a, an updated version of Heroku, you know, very, okay. very, very low barrier to entry, um, easy to use. I haven't really tested it in terms of scalability, but it seems to have the infrastructure to scale. And then um, they've got a little bit of a product lock-in there. Because if you use Next.js, they have their own internal um, uh, components in React for image optimization and things like that that are native to the Vercel platform. So... If you're using Next.js, they're almost just like just shooing you into using Vercel for the deployment on that. I think that's about it that I've used, aside from some like um, WordPress sites. But oh yeah, I've done that. Too. It's, that's going to trigger Side PTSD, thing. so I'm not going to bring that subject <laughs> up. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I still have a couple of WordPress sites. Every time I get reminded of my annual billing, I'm like, I should move those off to Hugo. Right. And when I go look at it, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. Right. <laughs> I'll just let it sit there for another year. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. So if you're listening and you're trying to figure out how to start your own consulting business or wanting to bring in some side income, I think there's probably an avenue there of I will convert your WordPress site to something that is not WordPress. And I bet people will just give you money to do that. Call me. I will give you money to do that. I mean, I, I mean, I will give you two years of my WordPress hosting fee, which is, I don't know, 200 bucks a month or something. So times two, I'll pay you 400 bucks to move my WordPress sites off of WordPress. And then in two years, I'll be making that money back. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure somebody in the Philippines would love to do that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you do that, let us know. I really want to hear how of course, it works out. I will. Yeah. And I'll, yeah. I'll, um, yeah. I'll help promote you on, on Twitter and on my YouTube channel, wherever, just to hook you up. Definitely. Yep. Yep. Because that'll be fun to watch. (laughs) Well, uh, sounds like we're winding down. Should we flip over to some picks? Yeah, let let me recap the actual Google PCA exam real quick. Because I felt like that was a really challenging exam. Um, Because... I went into it when I first started down this path. I was thinking, oh, okay, you know, I'll figure out the GCP equivalents to AWS services and, you know, just do the old, um, you know, copy and paste where you see EC2 instance replace that with, um, I can't remember what Google calls the instances now, but whatever. I thought it was going to be like a, a word replace thing, but it's really not. The exam, I think, does a really good job of testing not only that you know what the GCP products are, but their actual implementation details as well. For example, you'll see questions like a client who needs a um, a relational database solution, and then they'll throw in some details of um, that they need uh, global connectivity, right, for a high-throughput application. And so your choices there are Google's Cloud SQL or Spanner. Um, But then you have to know that Cloud SQL is regional only, and Spanner is the one that has global consistency. So you have to understand enough about the implementation details to pick the right product based on those little details that they drop off in the question. So that was one of the things that I think was really helpful in preparing for the exams to know that it's not only about the product, but the implementation details of the product as well. And um, you have to read the question carefully because there'll be little things that are not, I don't consider them to be like trick questions, like trying to trip you up, just trying to validate that you actually understand the differences between the products because they do have a lot of products that overlap. You know, there's like in, in SQL databases, there's Cloud SQL and Spanner. And then for document-oriented databases, there's different um, products there as well. And even whenever it comes to like uh, connecting to the Google network, you can use carrier peering, which gives you uh, a peered connection to Google public services or an internet interconnect connection which is an actual tunnel into the GCP cloud for RFC 1918 communications. Have you ever received an AWS certification as well? No, I have not. Okay. I was curious if you had, if you could compare them, the tests and and whatnot. But if not, then I guess not. Yeah. 
Now I've often often considered doing it, but um, well, as we know, I haven't considered it very far. <laughs> <laughs> so what 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 prompted you to get this uh, to do this test? It was um, uh, because I'm working at Polygon, and um, Google is now partnering with Polygon for the deployment of uh, blockchain nodes on the GCP infrastructure. They um, they offered it up to us as like okay. a, an incentive. And I was like, yeah, free training? I'm in. Nice. Yeah, if it was free, I'd probably do it too. Yeah. I'll go through a lot of hoops and hurdles for something free, even if it's something of low value. <laughs> Not saying that the, the GCP certification is low value. I'm just saying that's where my threshold is. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let's do some picks. What you got? All right. So I got something in the mail recently. I got this. Only you can see it, Will, since this isn't a podcast, but I got this little deck of cards. I, I hope I can say what it's called. The, uh, <laughs> I love it. Agile bullshit deck of cards. So I, I don't know if that'll be bleeped out in the final edit or not. It's 56 cards and each one has some agile bullshit on it. So let me just pick a random one here. I'll read it to you. That's not what we do here. Why should we change? <laughs> oh my God. Or team members cherry pick their work. <laughs> or same old retrospective. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, user stories with the word user marked out. <laughs> so, uh, and, and so you can head over to simulearn.net, simu-learn.net. Uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes, of course. Or you could just Google for Simulearn Agile Bullshit Cards. And uh, they, there's different ways you can play. You could do Agile Bullshit Bingo, or you know, they have a few different ways you can play with it. I'm thinking about taking one of these each week and writing a little blog post about it and you know my experience with each one of these. Uh, I haven't decided if I'll do that, but that's what I'm thinking of. So uh, that's my pick for the week is this bit, deck of agile bullshit cards from Simulearn. That's at, at the very least, it's a, it's a fun conversation piece. Sit around with your colleagues or over a beer or over lunch and just talk about do your t- how many of these things do you do on your team? For sure. It- just from the few that you read there, it sounds like someone who has lived the story. Yes. <laughs> this wasn't their first yes. day in Agile. <laughs> so that's my pick. Right on. Um, so I was thinking about picks and I don't, I really haven't been up to anything. As you can tell on my YouTube channel, I haven't put out any videos because I spent quite a bit of time Um getting ready for this Google PCA exam. I spent a lot of time getting ready for it and it was all time. I felt like well spent because I needed that time in order to pass the exam. And then prior to that, um, I'd been training for that 100K race that I did. So my YouTube content is down, which is why this week I'm going to pick as my pick my YouTube channel, DevOps for Developers because I'm working on some new videos. And by the time this releases, there should be some new stuff out there. Part of that is going to be doing a deep dive in AWS versus GCP. And then because of my recent newfound love affair with GCP, there's going to be some 
GCP specific content coming out as well. So check that out oh, cool. if you would, please. I will. I promise. Right on. Cool. Well, I think we've got ourselves an episode. I think so too. I hope all you all right. join us again next week. All right on. See you, everyone.